Formula One will be returning to the streets of Baku Sunday, the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. It also comes two weeks after Monaco. It also features a street circuit, where there'll be some overtaking and a good combination of tricky corners and high-speed straights. It's the Overtake F1 podcast. I'm Tony Daziri. Thanks for joining us for our Azerbaijan Grand Prix preview as Formula One goes back racing this weekend. Hey, a reminder, if you've been listening to what we're doing, please subscribe to the channel. It really does help us grow. Leave us a five-star review. That also helps us grow. If you'd like to reach me on any level, you can follow me on Twitter at Tony D Radio. Uh, you can find me there. Tony D Radio Show at Yahoo.com is where you can email me. There's some contacts if you need to reach the show for whatever reason or me personally. But again, please subscribe to the show. We've been loving doing this and we could really use the support as we continue to watch this grow. All right, so Red Bull continues to lead the Constructors Championship. They have won their fourth straight race when Sergio Perez took the checkered flag at Monaco and Max Verstappen is still on top of the World Championship as we head into round eight at Baku, leading Charles Leclerc by just nine points and Sergio Perez by 15. We'll get to that in just a bit. It's also the fourth street circuit so far this season. Jeddah, Australia, Monte Carlo are in the books. Miami was kind of promoted as that, but that's a hybrid. That was built in a car park, so I don't really count it, but maybe you count it, but I don't. So this is the fourth street circuit for at least me. Baku gave us one of the more thrilling and interesting outcomes of the 2021 season when the podium was Sergio Perez, Sebastian Vettel, and Pierre Gasly. Y'all remember the magic button on Lewis Hamilton's Mercedes? Yeah, I know you do. But uh, we got the five things to watch for coming up on Sunday. But this this is a mid-race for me. It's not one of my favorites on the calendar, but I don't hate it. I like it enough that I like what the race can bring. There's a lot of elements to this that I don't think are seen in a lot of other um, circuits around the world. Uh, but it's not one of my favorite events. If I would list my top five favorite circuits, B Baku is not on that list, but it's definitely not in the bottom either. All right, so here's some five things to watch for on Sunday. And the number one thing right out of the gate is, of course, Ferrari. They need a bounce back. More specifically, though, Charles Leclerc. He needs a good weekend. After a runner-up finish in Miami, Leclerc had a DNF at Barcelona when he was running clearly in first place, cruising to a victory, and then a fourth place at Monaco, where once again he was in first place, cruising to a victory. And then that particular race in Monte Carlo, the team screwed up his front-running track position, and then he finishes fourth, not even on a podium, at his home Grand Prix. They've also seen Red Bull racing win the last four races, as I mentioned earlier. Max, three of them, Sergio. Gio Perez, the last run in Monte Carlo, moving both of their drivers into championship contention. Now, Leclerc took pole last season in Baku, and he's been finding pole positions a lot this season, rather with ease, I should say. He's been on the front row a lot this year. But the last few Grand Prix, he has not been able to turn those into victories. And Ferrari definitely needs a bounce back. They were the strongest team at the beginning of the season, but it's now starting to get away from them. They have the car, again, to put the car in the front row to win Grand Prix. They had it in Barcelona. They had it in Monte Carlo. But circumstances, a DNF with engine trouble, mess messing up the front running position with bad pit stops and bad strategy, cost them a win and, and, in the streets of Monaco. So they need to bounce back because Red Bull right now is riding high. Speaking of which, that's the number two thing on our five things to watch for for the weekend in Sunday's Grand Prix. Sergio Perez, is he an actual contender for the world championship? Now, there's been a lot of discussion on that win in Monte Carlo. It's put him 15 points behind his teammate for the world title. He's got a new two-year contract extension, and he's also now being discussed as a legitimate contender for the world title. 
He obeyed team orders, if you remember, back in Barcelona. He let Max Verstappen pass to get the win. And I've said a couple of times on some other podcasts, I really thought Sergio Perez could have won that Grand Prix if it was anybody else besides Max Verstappen behind him with Max Verstappen's issues. Remember, Max had the DRS issue. was coming in and out. I think Sergio Perez, who defends well and makes tires last, if he were to have defended against anybody else other than his teammate, I think he could have gone the last 17 laps and won the Barcelona. Barcelona, uh, in Barcelona, the Spanish Grand Prix. But nevertheless, he followed team orders. Max got the win. But now, if you are Sergio Perez, how much do you look after Sergio Perez Incorporated? How much do you look at yourself and say, wait, I'm only 15 points behind this guy and my teammate who I will defend for and I will fight for. But the reality of it is, I'm not second fiddle on this team. I have every right to contend for a, a, a title as anybody else that's 15 points behind the world champion right now. If it was anybody else that was 15 points, they would feel like they had a shot. I also feel like I had a shot. He played good teammate before, but right now there's too much at stake. Is he a legitimate world championship contender. We're going to see in the next couple of races, at least until the break, what he can do with this sort of a momentum and this not new image, but new thought about where he's going. Plus, and here's another key. He's the master at Baku. He won last year's race. Again, the leaders fell apart. I get it. But he had two podiums when he was racing there for Force India. And Max Verstappen has never finished in the top three in Azerbaijan. Had the car last year, had a tire failure, but still has never finished in the top three. So just something to think about when you look at Sergio Perez, at least this weekend and in weekends after that. Now, there may be a point that he doesn't win races and he doesn't come close and he finishes fourth and fifth, whatnot. And he's out of this discussion right now. He is very much in the discussion and that's key. Number three on the things to watch out for. I put this reluctantly, but it does have to be addressed. Daniel Ricardo and McLaren. This is it for Daniel Ricardo and the team. You can feel the frustration. It's so thick you can pour it on pancakes. Every race they have is another Daniel Ricardo didn't quite get it done as we thought outcome. He has simply run out of excuses as to why he cannot get this car into points and in contention for solid finishes. And this is occurring while Lando Norris is consistently scoring points, even when he's battling a high fever like he did in Barcelona a couple of weeks ago. Now, is there enough races to change this relationship? Sure. But he's way, way, way off. And there's a lot of young drivers that would wait and die to jump into a McLaren ride. There's been rumors about Colton Herta, America's new Formula One hope, he getting a ride there. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but there are certainly guys in, F in, in Formula Two that would love to get a McLaren ride. Some guys in Formula One would love to get a McLaren drive. We know that. Daniel Ricciardo is running out of excuses. He's got one top 10 finish that came in Australia. He earned three points in the sprint race at Imola. So even though he, he, the 18th place finish at Imola was not necessarily his fault colliding with Carlos Sainz, for four straight races now, he has been outside the points. Is he a popular driver? You bet he is. Is he worthy of the McLaren ride right now? Right now? Absolutely not. Number four on the things to watch for this weekend, and that's George Russell. And this is going to be on the flip side to the conversation that we we're having about Daniel Ricciardo. Russell's been the most consistent driver on the grid this season. Seven races in, 
Seven top five finishes. He's finishing ahead of Lewis Hamilton at almost every stop. It is clear that the move to Russell was the right move after his years of waiting at Williams, but nobody argued at the time that it wasn't. I, I mean, there were a few people that were wondering if Botas was getting kind of a raw deal, but I think if you pulled those people aside and said, really, what do you, you've got this amazing young talent that is just sitting here wasting at Williams. You have him. You can put him in that ride anytime you want. I don't think you'd find a lot of people that were arguing that that Mercedes made the wrong move back last season when they announced that Russell would be in the car for 2022. But that being said, did anyone think that this year we'd be seeing what we're seeing? That he is the top driver on the team? That he's ahead of Lewis Hamilton almost consistently week in and week out? Now, he did say in an interview that he thought he'd be a Formula One winner by now in his career, but he probably didn't figure that he'd be spending a lot of time at Williams in an uncompetitive car. He probably thought he'd probably spend a little time there, get up, get into some sort of competitive team soon. Spent a good amount of time with Williams really, you know, really spent in my opinion, a little too much time there, but nevertheless, those things are over. He's now in a somewhat competitive car, but he's at least on a team that will try to contend for championships. He also figured at some point through the first seven races, he would have found some way to get a victory, even though Mercedes is still working through the ups and downs of the vehicle and getting on the grid. But again, if I told you that a Mercedes driver would win this season, if I came from the future and said at some point in 2022, Mercedes will have a victory who's your money? Who'd you put your money on Hamilton or Russell? That's a tough call right now. You think Hamilton, because he can, he's such a talented driver that there might be some circumstances where his amazing experience puts him in a position to win a Grand Prix, but that's a tough call right now because Russell's outrunning him at every stop so far this season. So again, think about that question. If I were to tell you a Mercedes driver is going to win in 2022, who would you bet on? And then fifth thing to watch for that's something that I that I think is going to play a lot into this Grand Prix coming up this weekend, and that is the attrition that we get at Baku. The Azerbaijan Grand Prix can cause even the best drivers problems. There's our there's tricky corners. There's long high speed straights. Accidents are going to happen at every single track, but Baku can really really bring out the mess. Look at last year's podium, for example. As I mentioned earlier, Sergio Perez, Sebastian Vettel, Pierre Gasly. Charles Leclerc started from pole position, didn't finish. Max Verstappen had tire problems. He didn't finish. Had a had a had a failure going down the straight. Lewis Hamilton on the on the red flag restart. He drove right through turn one because of the magic button. There was a whole bunch of drivers that were that were messy in last year's Azerbaijan Grand Prix. But the circuit, it's a demanding circuit. You can go low downforce, medium downforce. You got to set the car upright. If you go with the low downforce, tire degradation is going to be an issue that you have to deal with. So there are some things that this track brings out that can cause cars to just be done, be done. And you never know what that means for the grid. All right, so those are the five things to watch out for for Sunday's race. We've got Ferrari in a potential bounce back. Sergio Perez now is a world championship contender. Daniel Ricciardo struggling at McLaren. George Russell doing really good things at Mercedes. And the attrition that is going on at the circuit. Now let's get to track talk. This is where we take a look at the circuit, and this is where we'll be taking a look at Baku. So the, the, the circuit opens up with a series of 90-degree turns that leads to the first DRS zone coming into turn three and then into turn four. Those are 90 degrees at well. 
as well. And then you've got turn five through six. This is a simple left-hand chicane leading into a small straight into turn seven, which takes the drivers into the old city of Baku. Turns eight through 12, it's kind of the signature area of the circuit is known as the castle section. You've seen it where they drive up the little, the little chute into the, up the hill right by the castle. Um, it's a tight squeeze going up to the left into the winding street, and it's almost round. It's not quite round, but it's almost round. There's a nice little straight from turn 15 to 16, so it's not quite circular, but it's kind of close enough. But then after turn 16, there's another 90-degree turn, and that's when the fun begins because it is flat out to the start-finish line. There's like a small little kink in the way, but right then and there is a slight left, a slight right, but these are slight. It's 20 turns total, but you can get to about 345 kilometers per hour by the time they reach the line. That is a flat out zone. That's the second DRS zone is located. So as I mentioned, this is a circuit with tricky corners. If you've never seen the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, 90 degrees, 90 degrees, 90, 90 degrees, then a little, little tricky corner at the castle, almost a circular way down to a straight that's got a few little dips but other than that flat out to the line so 20 again 20 turns on this track pirelli bringing the softest tires to this race it's similar to monaco in a way c3 for the hard c4 for the mediums c5 for the the star uh, softs the circuit is just over uh, six kilometers again as i mentioned 20 corners number of 90 degree turns straight from 16 to turn one is a is a two kilometer run so it's got both wide and narrow sections of this track overtaking is plentiful you can find it here especially down that long straight it's also one of the hardest circuits for brakes because given that the four 90 degree turns it comes after that super long straight and of course, you got to navigate through uh, at, at turn eight up the hill by the castle. So it's a fascinating circuit. Uh, like I said, it's middle pack for me. It's not one of my favorites, but it's certainly not my, you know, my most hated track on the circuit. But it's very, very interesting. And as I mentioned earlier, attrition is absolutely going to play a part uh, in this Grand Prix. So watch out for that. All right, now it's time to get into top five and bottom five from Monaco, the Grand Prix in the streets of Monte Carlo. Normally, I start bottom five first just to kind of get it out of the way and sort of celebrate the Grand Prix. In this instant, I'm going to go with the top five first to get into the bottom five because I've got a lot more to say about those who are on that end of the spectrum. We're going to start with five all the way through number one. Number five on the list, that's Lando Norris. Now, there were six drivers who were way ahead of the rest of the pack. And Norris was on the back end of the front pack. It was a top 10 finish, albeit six, but he did earn an extra point for the fastest lap. So because I like Lando and you get the fastest lap and you're on that front pack, I'm going to put you in the top five. So number five on my list, Lando Norris. Number four, George Russell. Because of what I said earlier in this podcast, it's another top five finish for George Russell, the most consistent driver on the grid this season. He really is putting that close to the front. One day that front end that it's gonna something's gonna crack ahead of him and he's gonna win one of these Grand Prix. I, I you just get the feeling something's gonna break up front and he's gonna turn a P4 into a P1 in the final few laps. I, I just feel it. Uh, number three, Max Verstappen. This wasn't a great race for Verstappen. I mean, he, he, he struggled with the car a bit, um, but the key was, did he finish ahead of Charles Leclerc? And he did, right? If you're going to win the world championship, 
you're going to have Grand Prix where you're not the best car, you're not the best driver, you're not the best, you don't have the best circumstances, but can you minimize the damage? And I think if you finish ahead of your rival, no matter what your car's state is or what you felt about the overall running of the Grand Prix, you did a good job. And Max Verstappen, albeit didn't win the race comfortably like he did last year, he finished ahead of Charles Leclerc. And that's all that matters. Max Verstappen is three on our top five for Monte Carlo. Number two, Carlos Sainz. For all the problems Ferrari had, let's not forget that Carlos Sainz got a P2. And he made the smartest decision of any driver on the grid. He made the right call. He stayed out as long as he could until he could get on those slicks. He took those wet tires as far as he could before he got on those slicks. And if you think about it, if he didn't get out of that pits behind Nicholas Latifi and stayed to, had to stay behind him for about half a lap before Latifi let him through at Portier, he would have won this Grand Prix. I really believe that. I think he would have won this Grand Prix. But in the end, Sergio Perez ahead of him on medium tires, even as they were starting to go away, Perez is a master at defending, and he's a master at getting the most out of his tires. Carlos Sainz could not find a way to get past him when the opportunities were there. And at Monaco, we know there are hardly any, but the Nouvelle Chicane is a place where you can overtake. They just, he just couldn't get enough momentum to pass. Tried at a few moments where it looked like he was going to do it, but he could not do it. And that leads us to number one, which is obvious, and that's Sergio Perez. This is a huge win, and we talked about this earlier. It now puts him 15 points back in the world championship. Red Bull now two legitimate drivers that can win this thing. As I said earlier, I will warn, we'll wait and see on that. Well, you know, if he's still hanging around by the time we get to Monza and then, you know, in the fall, then we've got something. But right now, 15 points is not a lot of points. If he can continue to put this car in the front three and even win a few more Grand Prix, it's going to be right there on Max's heel. There's no question about it. And as Christian Horner said, Red Bull racing is not Max Verstappen racing as much as his father likes to yell and scream about it. It isn't. The job of Red Bull racing is to win a world championship, and it doesn't matter which driver's doing it. And to win the constructors, and they're doing that right now with both of their drivers doing well. So Sergio Perez right now today, early June, seven races in, world championship contender. 10, 11, 12 races in, we'll revisit that. But right now, today, he is. And he's number one in our top five for Monte Carlo because he was P1. All right, so now let's get to the bottom five because there's some big picture issues with a couple of these drivers and a couple of these... Now, just a reminder, I don't always put drivers in the bottom or top five. Sometimes I put teams. Sometimes I'll put team principals. Sometimes I'll put the promoters of the Grand Prix. Sometimes I'll put a Michael Massey like I did last year. It's whoever is making an impact on the race in a positive or negative way. That's who I go with in top five, bottom five. It's not always drivers, but number five on the list, all the way to number one on the bottom five is Mick Schumacher. I don't want to be too hard on Mick. It's only his second year, but oh my God, he has suffered another major crash that destroyed the car. Now, obviously his safety is first, second, and third priority. On a list of concerns, those are the top three. But at some point, Haas has to go, that's another million-dollar-plus bill we just can't afford in a cost-cap era. And I'm sorry, he hasn't scored any points in his short career. He's under tremendous pressure. The team is good enough to be in the running with both drivers. The car is good enough to do that. He's got the name, but he doesn't have the results right now. Haas can do better right now in that seat. I know it's a hard thing to say because he's got that Schumacher legacy. But right now, Haas, they can do better with another driver in that seat. Mick Schumacher is five on my bottom five. 
Number four is Daniel Ricardo. Same thing as I said earlier, what to watch for at Baku as Daniel Ricardo continues to struggle in the McLaren. He struggled at Monte Carlo. It wasn't that long ago he was victorious when he was driving for Red Bull, but he had a bad race last year. He had a bad race this year. Same thing. Um, Ricardo continues to struggle this year in a way that the excuses are just not falling right. You can only say so many times he's got to get that He's a professional race car driver. I will give a race car driver in a new car a lot of leeway, but I will not do this all season with him and McLaren. Get in the simulator. Take it out. I don't care. Get used to this car. It's ridiculous that did Lando has got so many, so much better results out of this than what he's pulling from McLaren. This is another race where he didn't qualify well. You know, in Monte Carlo, you have to qualify well. He didn't. So he was absolutely a non-factor in this Grand Prix. Finished poorly and too bad because, again, he's one of the more popular drivers on the grid. He says all cool things. He's a Netflix superstar. But right now, he can't drive that car. Just can't drive that car. Number three on the bottom five. This was a kind of a fun one, so hear me out on this. Fernando Alonso. Now, I don't know about you, but the jokes just kept pouring in after this Grand Prix. The meme showing Alonso ahead of the seven dwarfs. There was another one that said, here's your new Formula One safety car. It was Fernando Alonso. Why? Because... He was leading the backpack. There were six up front. They were half the circuit ahead, and he was leading everybody else. Like, you watch the tracker. There would be the six cars led by um, Sergio Perez. They'd be going through the hairpin, and then you'd look, and at Sandoval, here come the rest of the cars. They're way, way in the back, and they were all led by the Pied Piper himself, Fernando Alonso. That was it. I'm sorry. He defended well. And he finished P7. He got points. But he hurt his teammates because number two on my bottom five for Monte Carlo is Esteban Ocon. He got a five-second penalty for contact with Lewis Hamilton. Now, to his credit, he said, listen, I'm trying to overtake here. When you overtake in Monaco, you're going to run into somebody. But he said it was a racing incident. Uh, The FIA did not. They gave him a five-second penalty. But here was the problem. He couldn't get ahead of his teammate or anybody else, for that matter, in that backpack to make up the five seconds. So he's trying to get ahead by five seconds so that the penalty doesn't hurt him on, on in the finish, but it hurt him in the finish. He ended up uh, P12 in this Grand Prix, and a lot of it was because he couldn't get past Fernando Alonso, who was ahead. He Nobody got past him, so everybody had to stay behind Alonso. And that included Ocon, who suffered because of it, took him out of the points running. But the number one, and this is without question, I think number one with the bullet is Ferrari. There's no excuses, Scuderia. Should have finished one, two. Everybody knows it. Leclerc should have got that win in his hometown, right? As David Croft said, took the bus to school through these streets. And yet, He got a P4. He didn't even make the podium because they missed the mark on this one completely. He had the lead of this race. He was comfortable. They made a bad decision with that track position. Even on the first pit stop, the second one was a complete disaster. Shouldn't have had him come in at the same time as Carlos Sainz. That was a mix-up. McLaren had every right to be upset. However, I do agree with some who have been saying, you know, you win as a team, you lose as a team. Slow the roll there, Charles Leclerc. Not everything is your team's fault because there's going to be Grand Prix where it's going to be your fault, where all the engineers and the mechanics and everybody inside that team is going to work their tails off to put that car out there, and you're going to make a decision with that car that's going to cost you a, a DNF. You're going to spin out. Something's going to happen. Like at Imola, right? He recovered, but right at, like at Imola, you're going to make a mistake. So they made a mistake. You made a mistake. 
I get that you want to make sure those things don't happen again. And you have every right to believe that. And you have every right to ask that of a team like Ferrari, but slow down. Not, not every Grand Prix is going to be their fault. So there you have it. That's the top five and bottom five for the Monte Carlo Grand Prix. My prediction for Azerbaijan. It's a tough one. I, I think, I think Max's circumstances in the past few races are sort of things you just can't. It's not like he struggles at that circuit or none of that stuff. Right. They were just issues. They had, they, they, he felt like it last year, he ran over something that caused his tire to fail. And if you remember, there was a big problem with Pirelli at the end of that race. They did a real deep investigation. They said it was debris. He said, no, it was not debris. I didn't run over anything. I'm taking the same line. Pirelli had to do a deep investigation into that. Remember the controversy? Yeah. I'm going to go with Max Verstappen in this Grand Prix. I think Leclerc bounces back is somewhere on the podium. I don't know P2, P3, but I think he's somewhere. And you know what? I'm going to go with George Russell getting a podium for Mercedes. I, I Again, I'm going to pick Max to win it. I'm going to go Leclerc and Russell two and three. But if you're going to make me pick, I'm going to go Verstappen, Leclerc, George Russell. That's how I'm going to look at the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. But you know what? Predictions are like horseshoes, right? They only count if you make them. So I don't know if they're going to work. Nevertheless, that is our Azerbaijan Grand Prix preview again. Uh, I am on an assignment next week. And so if you've been listening to my podcast, I have don't know if I can get to an Azerbaijan review. Uh, I'm on a major assignment, so I'm, I'm busy uh, with some other things. So unfortunately, I may not be able to get to one. I definitely will not have a Canadian Grand Prix preview, but I will have a Canadian Grand Prix review. So next week, a very busy week for me. I don't know if I can get into a studio, but nevertheless, hang with us. We didn't disappear. So if you're looking for the Azerbaijan review and it's not showing up, hang with us. We'll be back. I promise you, we'll be back for the Canadian review. Just too busy of a week next week to try to find time to uh, bang out the podcast. All right. I'm Tony Desiri. Again, hit me up on Twitter at Tony D radio. If you just want to connect um, Tony D radio show at yahoo.com. I do a morning show for a network in here in the United States, uh, sports map radio out of Houston, Texas, Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, I decided to do this podcast because I love Formula One. I saw uh, sort of an opportunity for an American broadcaster to do a Formula One podcast. I thank you all around the world who listen to this and have subscribed to this. If you haven't, please subscribe. Uh, we really, really enjoy it. All right. Again, enjoy the race this weekend at Baku and uh, see us down the road. I'm Tony Desiri, and this is the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, and this is the Overtake F1 podcast. <laughs>